Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Shirendai and I am going to be your legal guardian for this evening. We are tapping right, right into an legal analysis on the Commission of Inquiry and Disciplinary Hearing of one Mr. Tom Moyani, who was a SARS commissioner. Uh, this show this evening looks at the fairness of, of those two proceedings happening parallelly or simultaneously, if one may argue. Um, it, it is probed by an application that has been made by senior counsel Dalimpofu, uh, who has taken a matter to court to argue that in actual fact, uh, those two proceedings will work to the detriment, if not the unfairness, of one Mr. Tomoyani. They will definitely prejudice him. That is the argument that he's making. He made that argument before the Commission of Inquiry uh, th- uh, through also Mr. Mabuza, who is also a lawyer of Mr. Tomoyani. And they also made the same argument before the disciplinary hearing to try and stay those proceedings. Um, those both of these um, uh, both of these inquiries have actually made the the same conclusions, and one of and th- those conclusions have been the fact that this will not to the, work to the detriment or unfairness of Mr. Tom Moyani, because of the fact that those two proceedings are actually probing two different uh, issues, albeit that they are probing into the same conduct, or it may time and again intersect on Mr. Tom Moyani. Now that argument. Um, rest on the sole basis of the nature of a commission of inquiry and the nature of these uh, of of a disciplinary inquiry uh, some of the uh, those questions are going to be answered later in this show into understanding what is a commission of inquiry and what is a disciplinary hearing and how those two can coincide in this in this particular issue and why it is okay for them to happen at the same time now a lot of people have argued that it's not okay because it's unfair on him uh, and others have argued that no there's nothing wrong it's actually a standard that, sh- that one should understand that they will be held to should they should they uh, um, occupy offices uh, of of public functionary? Now, law focus listener, this show will be probing into those issues. Uh, this evening, we'll be speaking to experts who will be assisting us uh, to answer those questions and to understand why that application has been dismissed before the disciplinary hearing and why it may be appealed and what are the what are some of the findings or key findings that may or may not be made should it be appealed is there are there prospects of success or not it's it's an open debate uh, nonetheless what is very important to understand that there there are also conducts that which are being probed by the commission of inquiry that which that which actually highlight how problematic it is to have corruption in the country thanks to corruption watch for some of the hard work that they've done around corruption in the country in many other areas, not including this one, um, and not, not only this one, uh, there's also the Nasana issue and many other issues that Corruption Watch have, have been highlighting that there's actually a plague of corruption in the country. Uh, Law Focus listener, before we get into that, let's do the legal hotspots first. You're still listening to Law Focus. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. Welcome back to Law Focus for the Legal Hotspots. For this week, we are looking at one of the most interesting three stories of the week. Uh, the first story looks at the judgment that which has been laid by the Concord uh, with regards to uh, Tunwasana, who was the National Director of Public Prosecutions um, and had been removed by, by our former President Jacob Zuma. So what happened here is that uh, Mr. Sean Abrams is actually a predecessor of Mr. Mklolisi Nwasan, uh, who was the National Director of Public Prosecutions. The the former president, the, Mr. Uh, Jacob Gazelle Zuma, actually removed um, or rather allowed uh, Mr. Nwasan to actually um, resign and therefore appointed Mr. Sean Abrams. 
Now, he was relying on certain provisions of the National Prosecution Act. And in those, in, in those provisions, they provided that the president can actually have, um, have um, an NDT, NDPP removed on a certain amount or salary of some sort. And so they agreed on a 15 million rand, or 17 million rand in actual fact, uh, that which was given to Mr. Nalsana for him to vacate his, his position. And therefore, Mr. Sean Abrams was actually uh, now appointed later on. And so what Corruption Watch did with many other organizations, they went to court to go and argue that that particular provision of the NPA Act actually violates against uh, the principle of independence, which is embedded in the Constitution, that which the National Prosecution, Prosecuting Authority ought to have. And so some of the most strongest arguments that were made by the court is that um, Mr. F- the former President Zuma was bent on getting rid of Mr. Nwasana by whatever means he could master. He was an, his was an approach that kept on mutating. It was first a stick, then a carrot. A stick once more and eventually a carrot. And it went on further to say that there was actually a golden handshake between Mr. Zuma and Mr. Nwasana. Now, later on, they go on to say that in actual fact, what plainly evinces how desperate former President Zuma was to get rid of Mr. Nwasana is that this was followed by a draft settlement in which the amount was left blank. Mr. Nwasana was being told to pick whatever figure. <laughs> Uh, and then actually the court went on to say under Mr. Malanga, under Justice Malanga that all I'm saying is that the very idea that former President Zuma was willing at least to consider whatever amount Mr. Nwasana inserted speaks volumes. To be more direct, it lends credence to the view that he wanted to get rid of Mr. Nwasana at whatever cost possible. And so later on they go on to speak about the integrity of the NPA. So the inference is inescapable that, this, that Zuma was effectively buying Mr. Nwasana out of office. In my book, conduct of that nature compromises the independence of the office of the National Director of Public Prosecutions. Now, a lot of people have come out to say, well, in actual fact, when you have a president that is corrupt like that, you are bound to have those kind of situations where the president is trying to buy out a, a, a National Director of Public Prosecution who may in, in all likelihood investigate him or prosecute him for that matter. And then later on, they say that Mr. President Jacob Zuma appointed, former President Jacob Zuma appointed Advocate Abrahams following his unlawful removal of Mr. Nwasana. That removal uh, was an abuse of power. Advocate Abrahams benefited from this abuse of power, right? So it therefore matters not that he may not have been aware of the abuse of power. The rule of law dictates that the office of NDPP be cleansed of all these ills that have plagued it for the past few years. It would therefore not be just and equitable to retain him at this would not vindicate the rule of law. So meaning that the appointment of Mr. Abrams, if it was constitutional and it was valid, therefore therefore he would continue in office. But because the, the removal of Mr. Nwasana was not um, was not constitutional and valid, therefore um, in, in all consequence Mr. Abrams' uh, appoint, appointment, Advocate Abrams' appointment was also not constitutional. Now, that, is, is, that, that assists us to understand why now the court went on to give a remedy that which is not common, <laughs> rather, uh, to go and say that because Mr. Nwazana has actually taken a golden handshake uh, when he vacated his office, therefore he's not going to be reinstated for that very reason because then the court uh, concludes that he acted ultra vires. A remedy of reappointment will be given to whoever uh, who actually acts um, in, according to the law and within the law. So if he was removed forcefully, therefore he would be reinstated. But because he was not only removed forcefully, he take, took a golden handshake, therefore he's being uh, uh, removed from office. And so th- that, is, that is the strength of that case. The second story for the week looks at how 
um, the competition tribunal has actually refused an application to dismiss a complaint against companies accused of price fixing and tender collusion that has even involved over 240 million uh, of an escom tender now the tender was actually for supply installation and dismantling of the scaffolding and thermal insulation for 15 escom coal-fired power stations uh, and actually was actually going to run for over five years and so the tribunal actually has jurisdiction throughout South Africa and is actually adjudicates over matters of competition, of competition, including price fixing and so forth. Uh, and this complaint was actually lodged by ESCOM, um, but it has been um, it has been removed off the roll by the tribunal because the case has not been fully made. Now that is the second story, but now that opens up many other issues because that means that the tender will now have to be split or the bid will have to continue. Uh, we, we will let you know how, how that uh, carries on. So for, for an exclusive, the NPA has actually declined to prosecute Mr. Tom Moyani for an alleged assault of a teenager. The suspended Tars Commissioner Tom Moyani will not be prosecuted for the alleged assault of a 17-year-old girl who is a mother of his grandchild. Um, the NPA has actually confirmed. Gauteng spokesperson uh, has actually told News24 and many other news outlets that prosecutors could see no prospects of a successful prosecution and decided not to pursue the charges. Yeah, there are a lot of questions around this issue. But those are the legal hotspots for the week. Law Focus listener, please stay, uh, stay, stay in tune for us while we're going to be talking about Tom Moyani, the Commission of Inquiry and the Disciplinary Hearing. We'll be talking to experts here on the show. Please stay with us. This is Law Focus. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week. It's Legal Hotspots. Law Focus, handing you your rights. We were also able to go to the ground to go and speak to uh, most of you to get your opinion on how to deal with the issue on Tom Moyani. And most of you have actually given their input as to what they think about the Commission of Inquiry and the disciplinary hearing happening at the same time. And um, around most of the opinions, the, the main issue was most more money is being spent. Huh. Interesting. Uh, let's just hear what they had to say. So I don't think it's fair to have two um, inquiries to intervene on the matter. I feel like SARS should do the disciplinary hearing and it should end there because what's the point of doing two investigations that will have almost the same outcome? So if SARS does its job, investigate the issue properly, disciplines him fairly and according to the law, then I think that should be sufficient enough. What, with a different, in, in any disciplinary hearing, there's a, there's a person that's internally and externally so it will be fair enough and i feel like with the commission it will have external people and internal people so we're just wasting more more money money, more more time on an issue that could be handled and move on and better the the department or the socks thing it doesn't have to be like a whole drawn out thing that's not the point of the issue the issue is to deal with it at hand properly and get, get a resolution it's fair because like in this country we suffer a lot from corruption so it, I, I think it will be a lesson from others also so that like uh, trying to minimize corruption yeah it's fair yes to face both of them in south africa we face a whole lot of corruption so any type of move that is taken in order to eradicate corruption should be supported so i think it's very fair because in that way we're approaching both situations because he's wrong for both so why must he only be charged for one when he's wrong for both so yeah 
Because why will they keep him there? Do they not think that he will keep carry on with his corruption without people finding out? He'll see where he went wrong and he'll fix that, but he'll, ca- he'll carry on with corruption. For now, he should be suspended until they figure out whether he's guilty or not. And then they can take the decision to either dismiss I think it's fair. If you have a major corruption scandal, it's setting a precedence for everyone else. It's setting a, a standard of, are we just going to do this internally, discipline him internally and manage that? Or are we going to actually show people that you, this is a, a major issue and you can't just... Corruption is something we're trying to defeat. And so I think having both is important. I think it's a good thing that Tomoyani is facing disciplinary action because as a country we cannot afford to be corrupt because we really need to move forward as a society so that we can look after our fellow countrymen. I feel like they should be separate because people might get their issues confused and it won't be as effective but I feel that both of them are necessary to have. Facing a scandal should be dismissed until proven guilty, uh, innocent or guilty. I feel like suspended is too much wasted money on somebody who's not doing their job at a particular time so he should be dismissed and then if um, he's found to be innocent reinstated in one way if he is actually corrupt and there is evidence of the of him being corrupt then there is a good chance that like he'll be able to get off the charges because there will be um, like power and around his like topic and then corruption will carry on but if we have fair people in charge of the trial and the um, the hearing and everything else then there is a good chance that it will be fair but it really depends on if he has power over the people that are, are inquiring him law focus ending you your rights Welcome back to Law Focus, the show with the staunch focus on the law. Uh, you're still just sitting here with Basil Shirinda and we are going uh, going to get into uh, the crux of the matter. We're going to be interviewing Mr. Neville Gaula, who is an attorney at Maluleke Siriti Makume Matala Incorporated, specializing in administrative and constitutional law. Welcome to the show, Mr. Uh, Gaula. Now, to kick off the conversation, where do the powers of um, appointing a commission of inquiry lie? There's a specific section that in the constitution empowers or mandates the president to make such an appointment. And in this case, section 84.2F of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa empowers the president to appoint a commission of inquiry. Now, you would understand that the case for Mr. Tom Moyane, former commissioner at SARS, he is appointed in terms of a SARS Act by the president. It's not a normal employer-employee relationship that you would find, for example, a lecturer at Virgin University and the university, or myself, um, where I am with my employer. It is regulated in law, this one specifically, and that is why the person that appoints or the person that dismisses is the president. And the reason for such a commission of inquiry is that there might be certain allegations leveled against the person concerned, and in this case was is Tom Moyani, regarding um, certain administrative functions he ought to discharge given his position. 
And if the president is of the view that he is not discharging those responsibilities or those duties, he will then appoint a commission of inquiry. But obviously, you know, civil society will complain on certain things and what, what, bias, uh, corruption, maladministration, and so on. So for him to clear the air in terms of whether or not those allegations are true, the only appropriate forum is to get to the bottom of it. It's a form of inquiry. And the inquiry in this case, (laughs) its major role and function is to get to the bottom of the truth, whether those allegations are indeed true and correct. And so what are, the, what are the consequences of a commission of inquiry? Once the commission, the president will then appoint a, a judge or whatever person who is fit to conduct that inquiry. Terms of reference will then be developed by the president C, President C, to say this is the scope of this inquiry. is to investigate one allegation, X, Y, and Z, and so on, report make a finding or make recommendations to me as a president. Then based on that, I will then decide whether or not Mr. Moyane or any person for that matter in this position is fit to hold such an office. Now, for him to come to that conclusion, evidence will have to be led of those allegations. Such evidence has been substantiated on facts Witnesses have been called to lead such evidence or to substantiate that such evidence. But also, Mr. Moyani, as a subject of that inquiry, will have an opportunity to cross-examine those witnesses to test the veracity of the information that they've given. And they will then have to, the commission or the commissioner, will then have to present such facts to the president and make a finding after all witnesses, all evidence has been led, and make certain recommendations to the president. Then the president will then have to act. Let's take, for example, the commission in, 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 Moy- in Moyana's case comes to a finding that, yes, indeed, he has failed to discharge his duties as required in terms of law. In other words, he has... He has given certain debates to certain individuals who are politically connected, who has given certain preferences, certain tenders and so who are politically connected, and so on. And there's evidence to substantiate that. The president will be obliged to consider those and make a decision, for example, say, now, I think the relationship of trust is broken, and therefore I'm going to remove you to, uh, from that position. But before he makes that, he will then have to give him an opportunity to respond to, say, to the issues that the president has raised or the decision the president has made. And based on that, the president will then take a decision on that. It either is fired or there are no substance for the president to have acted on him based on the recommendations, based on the finding made by um, uh, uh, the commissioner in this, in this regard. So the consequences are extremely dire if the allegations have been proven.
And it, but, but it's not binding. It's not binding, Mr. Gaul. It, 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 it is not binding because that um, uh, 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 commission has been established by the president. He has issued a proclamation, which is different than uh, the binding nature of the recommendations, the findings of the public protector, protector. as we have known in the, uh, in, in, in the EFF1 case and the EF2 case. What is the, the what is the nature and function of the disciplinary hearing in this particular? The, 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 the disciplinary hearing that an employee is expected to act in a particular way in discharging his or her duties and responsibilities in a work environment. There's a there's a policy that regulates all employees in that environment. There's a policy that regulates what must be done under which circumstances and so on. If there's any transgression you'll be called to account before a disciplinary hearing where the charges will be formally placed before you and you will have an opportunity, similar to inquiry, to refute those charges. The chairperson who was appointed, similarly in this case the commissioner, will have to listen to the employer who has initiated those uh, 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 charges against you. And you as an employee, you will have to have an opportunity to discredit the evidence led by the employer or on behalf of the employer or whoever. And then the chairperson of that hearing will have to make a finding or a determination on whether or not the charges that have been leveled against you as an employee, the employer has managed to prove them. That is the difference. But that would be binding. That would be binding. But then the normal legal process would then follow. Let's take a situation whereby the the chairman is of the view that the the employer has managed to prove the charges leveled against you in subordination or theft or whatever the case might be. And he is of the view that a sanction which is a, a penalty that he imposes is that of a dismissal or that of whatever the case may be. The employer will be bound by that. But you'll find in most cases, the employer, because of the nature of the offense that or the charges level against you, is not that of where a trust relationship is broken down. For example, theft in a financial company and so on. Mm. A charge of theft definitely would the result to a breakdown of relationship between the employee and employee, and therefore the ultimate penalty will be dismissal in that case. Mm. But then what is key is what the process of the procedure that has been followed to come to that conclusion. Again, now the question of fairness comes into play. Yeah. But you can appeal, you can appeal or take the decision of the chairperson on review. In other words, you approach the CMA, which has a jurisdiction to hear that matter, and said the chairperson's decision was wrong in the following circumstances. He ignored these facts. He took account of these facts. Mm. I and mean, he taken. Mr. Gaula, let, let me let me push it further because we are dealing with a special circumstance here of yes. one individual who is facing inquiry uh, um, in both forums. Now. Yes. 
the argument that is being leveled is that there is a form of unfairness by just having these two forums occurring simultaneously or concurrently. Now, I need to understand, what are your views in that regard? There, there, there is nothing um, that's, that stopped the president from proceeding with the inquiry as he has done so. That, look, um, I hear you, there's a matter that is pending, uh, uh, therefore, can you hold this process until I clear my name on this process? Before your process the, starts. <laughs> yes. And the president said, look, I, I see no merit in your argument with respect to holding back on this process because I have the power to appoint that and I have the authority to determine whether or not you are fit to hold that position. The one of the disciplinary inquiry is a different process which you've got to face because I did not hold you before that. It's got nothing to do with me. But then the question of fairness then comes into, into, into being whether or not is it would him going through those processes result into a unfair situation given the fact that some of the facts of factors that not be posed before him might be similar in nature. So the process is, the president was then of the view when he dismissed his uh, request to hold that, that look, those processes are different and whatever material facts that will be placed in either of those processes, uh, uh, you will have to respond to that. But what I am concerned is, is your, is your, is your responsibility as head of the Southern Revenue Commission. That's what the president and, and I hear that argument, um, Mr. Gaula, but let's explore it further. Yeah. Um, the, the entire SARS um, um, department was run by Mr. Moyani, and he, was, he, was the, he played a central role as to who did what, when, and how, and why, especially in the... Uh, I'm talking particularly in management as yeah. commissioners. And so most of those payments, including the 420 million that was paid to the Guptas and some of the decisions that were made with KPMG, when he was a central guy, even though there were other commissioners who were, who were participating with him, he was a central guy. So the odds are the entire commission will be centralized around Moyani. Can we agree on that? I, I, the reality is that Mr. Moyane was not processing those payments himself. Himself, yes, definitely, but he was central that's, in those decisions. That's, that, that's, that's what. Number two, was he party or part of the decision or to determine whether or not a taxpayer XYZ is entitled to a rebate or whatever the case might be? Mm. And the answer is no. They are, they are, he has management staff that were tasked in dealing with those things. His responsibility as head of the, of the institution was that of a strategic mm. uh, a, 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 a position to see that SARS discharge its functions and collect the necessary revenue mm. as required in law. He's supposed he to do that as required in law. But what has been led as allegations is that he was instrumental in all of those corruption deals, allegedly. Well, well, well. We cannot, we cannot speculate until evidence is, is led and that, that those allegations are tested and proven. 
So now it means that he's going to be involved in two inquiries that will be happening simultaneously. Yes, and that is why the president was of the view that, look, whatever SARS disciplinary uh, processes entails, uh, it's not something that I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is what is in the interest of the public. And what is in the interest of the public would be to dis- for you to give you an opportunity to dispel or to disprove the allegation level in a public forum as a head of a very important institution that collects revenue because I am of the view that the only platform for you to state what you know, what you say, you are fit and proper person to head that unit will have to ventilate it in a commission of inquiry. On the same breath, the charges in the D.C. relates not only to him, but to other officials whom he worked with whom in one way or the other might come up and say, I got instructions from the commissioner uh, to do X, Y, and Z. Commissioner or commissioner was not involved in this thing. Mm-hmm. Because as a matter of fact, when you say someone is instrumental, did he take the decision? Did he process those things? Did he press the payments and so on? And the answer is no, because that's not his but, but if he abused his power, then he's definitely instrumental. The abuse of power... We, we can't just use that term loosely. Mm. The abuse of power is that the powers that were given to you in law, you were using such powers for other ulterior, for personal, self-preserved interests. And for someone making that allegation, he or she must lead evidence, must produce facts mm. to substantiate that allegation. Yeah, that, that we understand. I think that is a substantive. Those are the substantive issues. Um, my issue is not the substantive issues. Issues. Mm-hmm. My issue is whilst these processes are happening at the same time, mm-hmm. when uh, Mister Moyani has to be respo- reporting to a DC and at the same time has to go and report to a commission of inquiry, isn't isn't there mm-hmm. something problematic there about his focus, about him being one human being responding to two uh, inquiries at the same time? I think that is something that there's something problematic about it somehow. Look, uh, Dalit is seen, his arguments is that, look, Mr. President, hold on on this commission until we are done with the this. outcome of the disciplinary uh, process. Definitely. Because the evidence is going to be led there and he needs to present himself, he needs to answer, and so on. It does sound like a double edged approach. So on his part. (laughs) And also the question of fairness comes into being. But the way our legal system is structured, he has options. Is to approach a competent court of law and say, how do I present myself on both processes, which are not the same necessarily? In principle. In principle, but the outcomes might be identical and the issue to be ventilated might be identical. And the court would likely would likely rule in its in his in his favour to say, look, um, um, let him let him face the inquiry, or let him face the DC, whichever the way. But he can't be two places at the same time. That's that's well, all I'm he, arguing. <laughs> that's all I'm yeah. arguing, Mr. Kaul. Yes, he can't be at the place of the at the same time. But let's allow let's allow the court process to make that. 
that determination that yeah. because he's of the view that his rights have been have been uh, violated in the sense that he's been subjected to two separate processes where the issues might be similar or identical and the outcomes might 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 give credence to each other Ah, thank you very much, Mr. Gaula. That is Mr. Neville Gaula, who is an attorney at Maluleka Siriti, Magume Matlala Incorporated, specializing in administrative and constitutional law. Thank you for your invaluable contribution this evening. Thank you, sir. You're still listening to Law Focus. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus, point, point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. We're still probing the issue of uh, Mr. Tom Moyani and the Commission of Inquiry and his disciplinary hearing as the two uh, as, as the two inquiries have actually had people uh, up in the ears trying to understand why is it that we should have two proceedings at the same time. Right on the line, we'll be speaking to Mr. David Lewis, who's, the, who's an executive director of Corruption Watch, and we'll be underpinning from the ground the kind of corruption conduct that which is, is found in that commission of inquiry, but also trying to understand these two inquiries. Uh, Mr. Lewis, uh, please welcome to Law Focus. To, to start the conversation right at the heart of everything, what is the commission of inquiry about and what is being chiefly investigated? So the... the the, the commission into SARS is a commission basically, you know, as I understand it, inspired by the, by the very poor performance of SARS in recent years as measured by, by uh, them not meeting the uh, revenue targets that were, that were set. So, um, uh, so that, that's what the, so that, that was what the, um, that is what the investigation uh, is about. It's also been asked uh, to investigate specific uh, problematic areas, the, the one being the uh, alleged corruption perpetrated by a senior SARS official, Jonas Makwakwa, and, uh, and the, commi- the then commissioner or the commissioner's response or lack of response to that. And it's also being asked to investigate uh, issues related to VAT refunds to crypto family connected uh, uh, businesses. So it's quite a wide ranging investigation, but it mostly concerns the performance at SARS and, as I say, some specific events that are identified as particularly potentially problematic in SARS. So what are some of the chief elements of prosecution on the, in the dossier brought before the commission? It's an investigation into the conduct of the office. Uh, two particular acts that I meant that I remember that they are investigating. Uh, um, uh, and it's not a prosecution, it's an investigation. Uh, only the prosecuting authority can prosecute. It's an investigation uh, as I say, into the performance of SARS, and it's an investigation of certain areas that have been brought, certain issues that have been brought to the attention of the Commission and the attention of the public. And two that I recall are the the question of, of irregular, allegedly irregular VAT payments made to Gupta-related companies, and then two the uh, possibility that a senior SARS official is engaged in uh, in corrupt activities, uh, certainly in suspicious transactions, 
and uh, an, an investigation into the response of SARS to those suspicious transactions. With these kinds of cases being investigated, could it mean that we have made progress as a country in terms of investigating corruption cases or in, even combating them? Yeah, well, you know, I think that we have made progress. I mean, since uh, since the Ramaphosa administration has been in place, you know, there has been there have been significant steps taken. Uh, you know, reconstituting the boards of state-owned enterprises like uh, like uh, Eskom, Transnet, and Danel represent significant process progress. Getting rid of several clearly corrupt cabinet ministers has been a step in the right direction. Uh, and the action taken in respect of SARS and in respect of the National Prosecuting Authority represent considerable progress. I mean, it's only, it's only a matter of, what is it now, five months or something since we removed an absolutely corrupt is a corrupt head of a, of a of a of a government in South Africa of our government in South Africa, and these things take time. But I think that there and of course there are many corrupt elements left in many institutions like SARS, ESCOM, Transnet, the National Prosecuting Authority, the police. So these things take time, and and they're not easy. But I think that things are being done. Never enough. But, uh, but progress is being made. The NPA has actually decided not to prosecute uh, Tom Moyani for the alleged, alleged assault on a woman. What are some of your views on that? Well, you know, you, you cite, you know, we, we, you know, one of the many cases, I mean, the one case is the, the manner in which he dealt with the allegations involving the person who was effectively second in command, Jonas Makwakwa. We have laid criminal charges against uh, both Moyane and Makwakwa in respect of those transactions. And, you know, the, the NPA go backwards and forwards as to tell us, to tell, telling us whether they are or are not investigating them. But we would certainly institute a private criminal prosecution, uh, particularly in the case of, 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 uh, of Moyane's transgressions. The other that you... And, uh, you know, uh, the other that you mentioned is his alleged assault on a young woman uh, that is said to have taken place at his home. Uh, I obviously only know what I read in the newspapers about that, and I am puzzled that he wasn't investigated. Except to say that Moyane has this network that is the Hawks, the NPA and SARS, has been one that has effectively protected Moyane all along. You know, I don't doubt that he would be investigated for and prosecuted for certain acts that he's uh, alleged to have undertaken a long time ago had he not been part of the whole state capture project, which is, I think, exactly, and I think he's been a key figure in the state capture project. And so he's, his fellow conspirators, you know, in the presidency as a previously the previous presidency in the previous administration in the NPA and the Hawks have you know in all likelihood conspired to ensure that he doesn't get prosecuted <laughs> that's been a common feature of the Zuma administration do you think it is fair on Tom Moyani that he has two concurrent proceedings probing into the same conduct 
I don't, I don't think that that's, that that's correct. The one, the one uh, investigation, the, the Nugent investigation, is an investigation into SARS. Because he was head of SARS, or he is head of SARS, now suspended, you know, inevitably he will be part of that investigation. But it's essentially an investigation into SARS, and one that is, you know, much more broad-ranging than the allegations that are uh, that are are, are being uh, adjudicated in the disciplinary procedure. But uh, you know, I don't think that there's any question of fairness or unfairness involved. Uh, the one concerns his position directly. The other is a is a broad and very large examination of the performance at SARS. With the kind of systemic corruption and organizational culture that has been alleged to have underpinned Moyani's leadership, what can be done in future to provide assistance to aggrieved employees who may not have the power to stop such a figure? Well, you know, what has been, you know, one of you know, many of the things that need to be done have been done. So Moyani has been suspended. A new interim le- leadership has been put in place at SARS. Uh, um, and I would hope that that uh, these two investigations have commenced. The one, a disciplinary inquiry, following his suspension. The other, an investigation into the performance of SARS. Both of which, in their different ways, will be very revealing. The one of which may land, may may result in disciplinary action being taken against Boyani. The other will guide interventions and policies that need to be introduced to uh, to restore SARS to its uh, to its former glory and and status so much has been done I mean I would hope that the new uh, management of SARS or temporary interim management of SARS will be taking seriously what their employees are saying to them I mean the real you know challenge many people were driven out of SARS Many good people were driven out of SARS or resigned from SARS. And I would hope that every effort is being made to bring some of those people back into the fold because they represented some of the most important, competent and experienced managers there. In closing, Mr. Lewis, uh, is there anything that you want to add um, to the conversation thus far? Yeah, Moyane has been a very damaging influence on the whole of South Africa. I mean, I I don't know if you remember the the Rogue Unit report where he initiated the investigation, ultimately criminal investigations of Kravlin Gordon by conniving with KPMG to produce a doctored report that seemed to suggest that Provin Gordon was involved in criminal activities in SARS. That was a completely, that was a completely fabricated, fabricated report in an attempt to get rid of the the Minister of Finance. Uh, so he's been a very, very damaging, toxic, destructive influence in, you know, one of the most important economic institutions in the country. So. Um, you know, we need to clear this up, and frankly, I think we need to clear him out as quickly as possible. Thank you very much for your invaluable contribution this evening. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.
You're still listening to Law Focus. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus. The families of, of the 134 life as a demeaning victims actually have received compensation from the Gauteng Provincial Government. We are glad that the arbitral awards that which have been given by the former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Moseneke have actually came to life and we are seeing movement in that regard. The interesting thing is that the Gauteng Premier David Makura has actually said that the office of the Premier has actually paid out 159 million to all of the 134 claimants. Law Focus. Talking active citizenship. Welcome back to Law Focus and you're still sitting with Basil Shirenda. Uh, we're still live on air and we're discussing the commission of inquiry that, that is being held by Justice uh, Nagent on the entire SARS, uh, SARS space and including Tom Moyani. Right on the line we have Mr. Theo Mapeta to provide us with, a, with an analysis on the current issues that which surround Tom Moyani and he's the Commission of Inquiry and the Disciplinary Hearing. Uh, Mr. Theo Mapeto is the founder of Mapeto Artinis. Not to drag it quite further, welcome to the show, Mr. Mapeto. Thanks for inviting me, Bezo. I hope thank, you well. Uh, thank you. We, we, are, we are at the heart of understanding accountability, transparency in government, and these principles underpin the Commission of Inquiry that is currently underway. Um, to understand what are some of the dealings that which have been held by the South African Revenue Services uh, when Tom Moyani was the chair therein and some of the commissioners that which have been um, dismissed and under, his, his, under his watch. Now, mm. Mr. Mapeto, there's a commission of inquiry that is currently underway, but there's also a disciplinary hearing, right? Yes. Now, these two processes are looking into the conduct of the said Mr. Tom Moyani alleged of uh, some of the alleged behavior and so forth there's a dossier on hand now from your understanding what what is the need to have both of these two sittings i think that's where we should start you see Basil, we've got to be crystally clear so that we don't conflate the the issues yes yeah. i i have seen some in the media um falling into the trap of conflating the issues the mm. the commission of inquiry is appointed by the president in terms of the provisions of the constitution section 84 and i think subsection 2. Mm. it provides the president with the powers to appoint a commission of inquiry the disciplinary hearing is a different matter altogether the commission of inquiry well let let me exhaust the commission of inquiry first it looks into the affairs if you look at the gazette uh, that came out uh, to appoint the Commission of Inquiry. It, look into, it looks into the totality of the affairs of the, the South African Revenue Services at a particular time, mm. whereas the disciplinary hearing only relates to the, the former uh, commissioner, uh, Mr. Tom Moyane. Mm. So the two issues are not necessarily uh, uh, the same, uh, but they tend to overlap, uh, granted. And so what is, the, what is the status thereof? What is the status of the Commission of Inquiry when it, when it concludes? Well, um, the, the, uh, that, that is, is something that you get when you read the, the law. And the a Commission of Inquiry is a quasi-judicial body. Mm. Um, it has the, uh, the powers to recommend to the president. Uh, or, or to the premier, um, uh, whatever, they, whatever the case may be, to make certain recommendations to the president, uh, 
but the president is not necessarily bound by the recommendations. He may say yay or nay uh, to, to the recommendations. So, so the, the Nugent Commission of Inquiry is not concluded. Mm. Upon finalization of the, of the proceedings, um, judge, uh, judge, former Judge Nugent would then uh, finalize a report and then make recommendations to the president. The president has a discretion to adopt the recommendations or not. Or not. And so and, and what, would the, what would be the consequences of the disciplinary hearing? Should it conclude? Well, um, like I said, that's a different matter. The, the purpose, as I understand, of the disciplinary hearing mm. is to provide certain allegations, to, to lay certain allegations against uh, Mr. Moyane. Uh, Mr. Moyane has uh, legal representation from what, I, from what I know. He will face the, the commission as, a, as an accused if the chairperson of the uh, disciplinary inquiry finds him guilty, then there are certain consequences that would naturally follow. If he's not found guilty, um, uh, then uh, automatically he would be reinstated to his position as a commissioner of, of SARS. So, so the, the scope, uh, just to clarify, the scope of the commission of inquiry, as I understand, is very narrow, very limited to the conduct um, of Mr. Muyane as it relates to his employment um, in the in the South African Revenue Services. That is the Commission of Inquiry, and so and that, that and is the, the Commission of Inquiry and the, the much and narrow, narrow, narrow responsibility that it has. And and what would be the, the responsibility of the DC? The, the DC looks into Mr. Moyano's conduct, and if he's found guilty, and then uh, those consequences would follow. He might be dismissed. He might be suspended, mm. and and so on and so forth. That is the DC, right? Yeah, that's that's and, they, they look and into if one he's person. Not found guilty then he might be reinstated in, the, in, in that position. Now, now, to be clear, that is, that is as far as the disciplinary inquiry uh, goes. And its findings are binding? The, the findings um, are, are binding because okay. the, the commissioner or, or the chairperson of the proceedings is appointed to, to chair the, the, the proceedings. And he might, like I'm saying, he might find Mr. Moyani guilty or not. Yes. And then on the, the Commission of Inquiry, on the other hand... The Commission of Inquiry, on the other hand, a quasi-judicial process that is chaired by a former Judge Nugent, it's the one which may make recommendations to the President, which recommendations, as I said, may, may be adopted by the President or may not be adopted by him. And so now, looking at, at both of these proceedings concurrently happening... Wouldn't, wouldn't, there's a concern, I think, th- that is raised by senior counsel Mpofu there, that these two proceedings are actually working to prejudice Mr. Moyani to the extent that they're looking at, at conduct that which is concurrent. Now, and, and he advises a procedural fairness argument there. What would be your response to that? Well, you need to look no further than the ruling of Judge Nugent. And Judge Nugent rejected out of hand the the line of arguments that was adopted by uh, senior counsel Mbofu. Mm. He is of the view that although the two processes overlap, they do not necessarily impede each other. Um, so so uh, Judge Nugent is of the opinion that 
Mbofu is misconstruing the law uh, with regard to this particular question. Mm. So in his view, there's nothing that prohibits the commission of inquiry from proceeding uh, because as uh, the judge has held in his ruling, the commission of inquiry scope is much, much wider. Now, I, I, I understand that line of argument around uh, the scope of being wider with the Commission of Inquiry and being much narrower with the DC. But now, Dalimpof is actually challenging that. He's saying that to the extent that the entire SARS Commission, the entire SARS um, South African Revenue Services was being run by Mr. Moyani, and therefore to an extent, the very essence of the Commission of Inquiry is centered around Moyani. Right? That's his argument, that if... If you were to look at the entire dossiers, the, all the dossiers do not go by without mentioning Moyani and all of them. And therefore, that means to, to, to a very, very large extent, the conduct that which is being scrutinized here is that of Mr. Moyani, which is the same thing that basically the DC is doing, well, with, with different consequences. That is argument. Look, Basil, the, the common refrain of your question um, is to a certain extent. You, you've, you've said to a certain extent several times, which mm. means that you want to qualify qualify that. In, in fact, Judge Nugent has considered that. To a certain extent, Mr. Moyani, as a common denominator, is a, a, a prominent feature in, in both these proceedings. But it doesn't mean that uh, the one displaces the other. So, put differently, it may very well be that the Commission of Inquiry looks, and, and, and in fact it's a given, the Commission of Inquiry looks into other affairs, mm. whereas the, the Commission of Inquiry sole mandate is to look into the conduct of Mr. Moyani as it relates to his employment. And, and there's, there's nothing puzzling for you about that? No, no, no. I, I think the the, the judgment uh, or the ruling uh, from from Judge Nugent is is quite is quite clear. I mean, it provides uh, in detail the the reasoning uh, be behind the ruling. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting about the ruling is that he met he met head on every argument, every line of argument that uh, that Mr. Mbofa made. I saw I saw I the, the five lines of argument. Yes, Mr. Yes. Mr. Mapeto, I'm still uncomfortable to the extent that um, the DC could have proceeded whilst the Commission of Inquiry was stayed its proceedings, right? Or state the proceedings of the DC, make the factual findings in the Commission of Inquiry, use some of the factual findings for the DC or the other way around, but not to make the same lines of arguments in both proceedings that are proceeding at the same time. But you see, the, the, the difficulty with, with that argument is that mm-hmm. the processes are, are different. Now, let, let, me, let me make a common example. If somebody is charged uh, with a, a criminal offense and it so happens that the employer is of the view that the, that offense is something that the employer disapproves of. So, 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 for instance, you get charged of of theft as an employee. Now there are two processes that may unfold in consequence in consequence of that. One, you may be charged by the police, which may mean that you have a criminal offence. Mm. You go to the criminal court, and two, you may be charged, as they put it colloquially, you may be charged departmentally, 
which would mean it's a labor labor law issue. Matter. Yes. Now, those two processes may run parallel to each other. At the, the same law, time. At the same time. In fact, if if you if you might find this interesting, it may very well be that you are found guilty in one process and and acquitted in another. But Mr. Mapeto, what is the likelihood that you will be found you will be you will be found guilty in a in a criminal court and found not guilty in a civil court? What is the likelihood? Well, um, the the common example for 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 those who are interested in in the study of law is the O.J. Simpson matter yes. um, in the United States. Um, it's a it's a different jurisprudence, but it's the the example is telling. So so in in, in our in our jurisprudence, for instance, we look at the at the at the question of standard of proof. Yeah. Now, in the labor law context, the standard of proof is much lower than that which is utilized in in the criminal uh, criminal proceedings. Definitely. The 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 standard of of proof in in the former in the former proceedings is on a preponderance of probabilities or on a balance of, of probabilities. Whereas in criminal proceedings, you've got to, the state has to prove its case beyond, beyond a reasonable doubt. So, so obviously, uh, that already tells you that the outcomes may be different precisely because of the, of the, of the burden or the standard of proof that has to be, that has to be, that has to be involved. Yes, Mr. Mapeto. Now, my argument is, should you be found guilty in, in a criminal case where the standard is higher in, than, a, than a civil case, what is the likelihood that you will be found not guilty in a civil, co- in a civil court? We, we have, we call them courts of law, but they're essentially courts of evidence. The yes. presiding officer who would be presiding in either, in either matter would have to be swayed by the evidence that he that he that that he or she I've got to say this he or she has in in front of them. So if a presiding officer in case A, for instance, in criminal uh, case, in, in a criminal case, is swayed by the evidence that is um, that is put forth by the state, then that may happen. That may very well happen. Uh, but but the key. The, the, the key uh, uh, thing, the key point to bear in mind is that these processes are independent of each other. If you, if you come from that premise, then you'd understand that you can't conflate the two. They're independent of each other. You may very well, I suppose, as you are going um, higher, if you want to review the proceedings, you may very well look into that um, and use that as one of the grounds of review. But as it stands, the two processes are independent of each other and they should be viewed and treated as such. Yeah, but from your opinion, do you see it succeeding or you don't see it succeeding? Well, you know, I, I've, got to, I've got to concede that I, I looked at the, the proceedings very closely, mm. um, um, starting from the Commission for Inquiry. And I'm swayed by by the reasoning of Judge Nugent, for one. Um, I, I, where I'm standing, and, and I'm, talking about, I'm talking about this without the benefit of, uh, of 
of uh, taking instructions from Mr. Moyani uh, because I'm, I'm not his lawyer. I, I think he might have a case. Uh, he might have a case going forward. It's, yeah. it's always best for for higher courts to clarify the law. I mean, that's why you have a hierarchy of courts in this country. Is it always a, best, though, <laughs> Mr. Mavet? Is it always best to have a clarification of the law, or sometimes it's in in a certain context of a case you don't want to. You don't, you don't want to ruin your chances. You might as well settle out of court. I'm, I'm a firm believer okay. that um, it's it's not it's not healthy for all parties and for all citizens if the law is in a state of flux. Okay. So if you have conflicting decisions, for instance, I've always preferred that uh, you go to a higher court so that the law is is tried and the law is is clarified. So so I'm hoping. Uh, and I'm crossing my fingers in this regard. I'm hoping that uh, uh, Moyani would exercise his right to, to go to a higher court. Thank you, Mr. Mopeta, for that analysis. We, we are quite grateful to, to for that. Much appreciated. You're still listening to Law Focus. Law Focus on Volfam 88.1. Point of information. Welcome back to your point of legal information here at VOFM 88.1. Vets Radio Academy. You're still still on Law Focus and you're still talking to Basil Shirenda about the Tom Moyani Commission of Inquiry and Disciplinary Hearing. What we've learned uh, from today is, is an understanding on the principles of Commission of Inquiry, Disciplinary Hearing. The President in his executive, na- in his ex- executive powers appoints certain people and therefore can recall them through Commission of Inquiry to try and investigate into allegations uh, which may lead into dismissals and so forth to try and find if someone is fit and proper for that particular position. Uh, the essence of it is that in this particular case, the difficulty was fairness and having two proceedings happening at the same time, a uh, disciplinary hearing. And we look forward to seeing how that will pan out. Law Focus listener, you will hear from this, uh, from Law Focus, how that actually panned out. Uh, from us here at Law Focus, remember that um, uh, we still care about you and we bring you law and we focus on the law for you to be able to focus on that law. Uh, from our producer, uh, Ms. Bulali Diakobu, who, who made the whole show, show possible. From our technical production, who makes sure that you can hear me. Uh, and from me, if it's not legal, then it's unlawful. If it's unlawful, then it's wrong. This is Law Focus. It's law and it's serious. From me, Bezel Shirinda, have a great evening. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus Podcast.